Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. super excited because like me she's Korean American but uh, even cooler than me she is a shaman a traditional Korean shaman so everybody I would love you to meet me hello me so I mean the first first thing I noticed about you is that you're wearing a hanbok which is a traditional Korean dress so uh Number one, can you show us that book? Because I love how it looks. And so, why you're wearing it. Um, so this is a traditional humbug. This is actually one of the ones that um, I wore for my initiation ceremony. Um, so a lot of the shinbok and humbug that we have to order for our ceremony are straight from Korea, obviously. They're custom-made. Um, so as you probably know, custom-made humbug is very expensive, um, especially the better made quality ones, they're like actual silk, it's not that polyester crap. Um, so the reason I'm wearing it is just because, um, as you can see behind you, is my small shindan, um, and that just kind of means like um, at home shrine or temple. Um, and uh, it's just a lot more respectful to have hanbok on for clients when they visit and since technically the shindang is open and i am having the clients over which is you guys um it's just a lot more respectful to have hanbok on yeah i mean that hanbok is totally like gucci gang gucci gang gucci gang i love it (laughs) (laughs) hanbok is um especially because of the price it's definitely a lot more saved for special occasions like lunar new year um christmas and stuff sometimes weddings um, but there has been a recent turn, which is awesome, is that designers are starting to do like modern hanbok designs just because they're cheaper to make and um, people can go about their daily whatever and wear that. And it's awesome. Like I love seeing that. Um, I had, I think I ordered like a few different ones uh, over the past couple of years and it's just, it's always really pretty even though they're like basic clothing for daily wear but it's just really awesome to be able to wear something like that um when you go out and you don't have to worry about messing it up like this kind of stuff so it's so refreshing to see somebody who is korean american so somebody of the korean diaspora like staying in contact with their roots the korean word for it is right so Mm. koreans living abroad 
But Kyopo identity is a huge part of modern Korean identity, like ethnic Korean identity. You grew up in Korea until you were around six years old, so a lot of your formative years were in Korea. Yeah, technically Korean was my first language, and then we moved to the States, um, obviously when I was six, and my mom's friends had told her not to teach us, I have a brother, so they told her not to teach us both English and Korean, because they had heard that it would make it harder for us to make friends out here, and harder for us to learn English. So even though she still spoke Korean at home, um, she only encouraged us to speak English. Like my first memories are in America, but I went back to Korea when I was a little kid for a little bit. And during the time I was in Korea, I mean, I actually went to kindergarten in Korea. So technically, you know, I did go yeah. to school a little bit in Korea. And uh, but the thing is, is that it's really hard to be bilingual when it's a language that's completely unrelated to English. Oh yeah. You know, and that's one of the, I think, frustrations that a lot of Korean Americans have, right? It's like, we're culturally, we don't feel 100% maybe assimilated into American culture, but we can't assimilate 100% into Korean culture either because our language skills are lack thereof. Like, yeah, it's definitely a barrier if you're not fluent in like listening and at least speaking, you know. Reading and writing, you can kind of pass off. Yeah, that's just like, oh, well, I just never got to it. But um, you definitely have to be able to like speak and listen and understand to really be considered Korean. Um, Native Koreans have always given me a hard time about that. Like they would try and talk to me, and I'd be like, I don't understand you. And they would be like, Why didn't? Why don't? Why can't you speak? Korean oh and I was God. like my mom never taught me and they just kind of look at me like that's not an excuse <laughs> also because there's like um, this language barrier like always having to rely on for me like having to rely on like my mom or you know somebody mm -hmm. else to like translate things for me and who who knows like how well it's like truly being translated so there's literally a lot lost in which is why I was just like, holy crap, this like Korean-American girl, she's like a traditional Korean shaman. Um, so my spirit mother, she's the, she's the one who initiated me. She is bilingual, like she still goes back to Korea um, every year, she's still fluent in Korean, she mostly speaks in Korean, um, but she can't speak English, she can't understand it, and I did have to rely a lot on my spirit sister still. Um, she's the uh, actual fluent one, like she's fully fluent in both languages, and um, it's it was just really frustrating <laughs> throughout that time because you know here's I'm suddenly surrounded by all these Koreans, right? We're we were in New York, and um, all these it was like the middle of K Town basically, but over in New York it's like Korean City <laughs> because it's so big. And like suddenly I'm surrounded by all these Koreans, I'm suddenly surrounded by like Korean language. And um, it was it was really hard to kind of flip my brain into being able to transition to that. Let's build some context here. You're just this normal-ish uh, <laughs> Korean American girl, so you come over to America when you're six. I'm guessing, you know, probably your childhood was Kind of similar to mine and a lot of other Korean Americans. You know, you go to a school that's 
maybe majority white or, you know, it's definitely not majority Korean or Asian. You grow mm -hmm. up, you do typical American things. But what happened? So it was really interesting just because I feel like everybody just starts branching off religiously, spiritually when they're about middle school age, right? Like 10 to 12. Um, that was about the time that I just started really getting interested in pagan mythology, like Egyptian, Greek. Like it was just so much more interesting than Christianity. And I was, you know, raised Christian, but it was a casual Christian upbringing. Um, the only other thing that I would say we stuck to really um, strictly was really praying before meals. And uh, when I kind of started branching out and reading up on it and stuff, I was like, I don't have to pray before my meals. I can still eat my food when it's piping hot. <laughs> so I, re I definitely remember, like, after a little while of reading a bunch of, like, Neo-Wicca books um, and kind of just exploring that, kinda, that side of things. So when you were 12, you were reading Neo-Pagan books? Uh, I remember distinctly it was, like, 2003. So... Yeah, I was like 12, I was about 11 or 12, um, and it was very awkward because my parents were still Christian at the time, and I didn't want to upset them, obviously. So I remember like one time during dinner, we were about to pray, and my dad just looks at me and I was like, I don't want to, and he gets pissed. <laughs> He's just like, you better pray or you're not going to eat. And I was like, that's fine. I really don't want to pray. I don't feel like I should have to. And my mom is being, you know, trying to be understanding. And she's like, you know, just leave it alone. Like, it's fine. And my dad's like, no, I don't want her to become one of those Satan worshipers, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, well, this kind of blew up in my face. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I mean, eventually, you know, it kind of just faded out. Like, I stopped buying Neo-Wiccan books. I realized, like, Neo-Wicca as a religion, spirituality, didn't mesh with me. Like, it just felt very Western and white-centric, and I just couldn't connect to it at all. Just like Christianity, no offense there, but praying in church to the Abrahamic God did nothing for me. I felt empty. Like, I didn't feel anything. Um... But the com like community was nice because obviously we're going to Korean church, right? So that was kind of the only time I saw Korean people out here in the States was through those churches. But it was, uh, I, I realized it didn't really mesh with me, so I just kept looking. Um, eventually, about early high school, I started experiencing weird nerve and like nerve pains. Um, but I've never had an accident that would have encouraged those kind of symptoms. Doctors, like when I went to go see them and ask them about it, they were just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, cool. So I'll just deal with it. It's not crazy painful or anything. So it's fine. It'll just be a thing. I just live with whatever. But it was, it kind of felt like electric shocks going down like my shoulders and my spine. Um, and then throughout that time also, I started experiencing really strong, like deja vu, premonition dreams. So when that, when those dreams came true, 
I would get vertigo so bad that I would have to hold on to something so I didn't fall. And during that time, uh, I would also hear like really loud gong sounds. Um, gong not sounds? too long after, huh? Gong sounds like yeah, like that sound. Yeah, exactly. Like just in my ears. Like I know I wasn't hearing it physically, but it felt so strong and loud. Like it was. It was wild. Um, again, I just passed it off as whatever because I, by that point, you know, I was it was after high school, and I kind of just figured it was just like a spirituality thing. I was like, all right, well, whatever. It's not anything crazy, you know. I'm not getting deathly ill or anything, so it's never been anything that I was intent on figuring out the basis of or root of. Um, Maybe a year after that, I started having dreams where my ancestors came to visit. It Wait, was just have really you had weird. dreams about your ancestors before that? I didn't, no. But I think it was because, you know, during, obviously during certain parts of my life, I was just, I kept making, like, wrong decision after wrong decision. Like, it was really screwing my life up. Um, but anyway, so, like... I dreamed the ancestors came to me, like they gave me things, they showed me things that I never really would have known about. And that's kind of what tipped me off there is where I shouldn't have known these things, like at all. Um, and I told, I finally reached out to my mom after I started kind of freaking out about how, um, how accurate these dreams were getting. But once I told her that, she was shook. <laughs> She's like, you have no way of knowing that, and I'm going to um, go ask and see what we can do for you, because that's not normal. <laughs> like, do you mind sharing some stories about, like, some of these dreams and specific incidences? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I remember two in particular that really kind of caused everything to just snowball into motion. Um, the first one was several of my ancestors came and visited me and my mom. So they, this is a very important aspect of Korean dreams is where spirits or gods, they come into your house and it's kind of uh, metaphorical for them coming into your body, like possessing you. Um, so I dreamed that several of my ancestors came and visited me and my mom. They came inside, they sat down on a big mat and they gave me a lot of standard mudang tools. Like, by this point, I had no idea what any of this was. Like, I remember brushing up on uh, on Wikipedia when I was, like, 14, saw that it was an initiatory tradition, and it closed out. Completely forgot about it. Didn't really look into it. I was just like, okay, oh, that's not for me. And I didn't want to deal with that stuff. Um, and so they gave me all these items, and... In the dream, I was like, oh, you know, like, that was so sweet of you guys because I haven't seen them so long, um, but I can't accept these. It's too much. And they're like, no, you're meant to have these. You're going to keep them. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> and then I woke up and I kind of, like, looked into it and I realized what they were. So, like, a lot of the standard wood on tools, like the fan, um, Bell rattle. Uh, this is right here if you can see it. Uh, the bell rattle or bangul. Um, as you can see, it's typically made of brass 
Um, sometimes you'll find other ones that are made of uh, copper or uh, similar things. Um, and as you can see on this one, there's four on this end and three on the other one. Usually you can find ones that um, aren't double-headed like this, but they will be straight bells at the end right here. Um, and as you can see also, there's no bell on the inside. Um, this is because they clash against each other to make their sound. Um, so this is a typical tool for monting or Korean shamans, sorcerers. Um, humble, and it was actually very similar to this one style, um, green up top jewelry, and then um, pink shima, um, pink or red. And so I woke up from that, I was like, okay, well, that was weird. So after that, I started kind of looking more into Musok and Murang. Like, I was just like, there has to be an answer for this. I don't know why I would suddenly dream that stuff. Um, and still I was seeing that it was very uh, initiatory. There's there's really no way around the initiation aspect of this tradition, right? So I'm just like, okay, well, again, not meant for me. I don't want to go through having to go through all these channels and gatekeeping in order to practice what I felt was my right to spirituality. Okay. Um, not too long after that, I had another dream where my deceased grandmother, my homony, um, on my mom's side, she took me and my mom, again, she's always there, um, up a mountain in Korea. Uh, she told me the mountain's name was Yongbusan. And on the other side of the mountain from where we were hiking was a famous Buddhist temple. Um, we passed by a sacred tree that everybody like lit incense at and prayed to and left offerings. And then when we were almost to the top, we never made it to the top, but she pointed up to the top. And she was like, you have to do good there. And I was like, okay. So I woke up. I asked my mom, I was like, um, so I had this dream and I looked up the mountain and I found out everything was true. Like that mountain is a real mountain. I never would have known that name. Um, there actually is a pretty famous big Buddhist temple on that mountain too. And there is like a thousand year old pistachio tree or something like that, that people prayed to. Um, so I had told her that and she was just like, how did you know that? And I was like, I don't. <laughs> like, that's what Halmini said. And she was like, okay. So she um, went around Korea, like Korean community, like her acquaintances, whatever up here. And she's like, hey, so what is the deal with this mountain? And all of them told her that it was a mountain famous for Murangs to do good at. And she was like, oh, okay. So for those of the audience who don't know, what is Kut? So Kut is basically a huge ceremony.
마다 예. 나란 노 높이 세우시던 나라 쪽나 나라 장군 아니시던가 사회소부용 장군님 만난 받으시고 So if you use the word ritual, I would say like um keto. So keto is like a kind of prayer ritual. They can last anywhere from like 30 minutes to like five hours. Um, it doesn't always have chanting and singing, but sometimes it does. It's it's like a light version of kut. Kut though is when you have to pull out all the stops. <laughs> doctor and you need surgery, Kut is the equivalent of that surgery. And keto would be like 
an antibiotic that works for maybe three months. So who is of course so big because of how many people intrinsically help pull it off. So like obviously there's the spirit mother, she's usually the main mudang performing all the parts, right? Um, her god daughters and god sons, so spirit, uh, spirit sons, spirit daughters, same thing. They all they all usually help if they're in the vicinity. Um, they help playing the music, the instrument, they help cook the food, um, they help clean the temple, get the space ready. So they just, they do a lot and preparing for food takes so much time and energy and preparation um, during my own ceremony and I I was helping out but I obviously wasn't doing that much as, a, um, as I wasn't initiated yet and even then I was pooped. Like it was, it was exhausting. Um, and my, my spirit family, they, they do crude like at least five times a month. Going back to your story about your dreams, uh, I think that what most people may not realize is that the average Korean American would never know things like that there's Buddhist temples on mountains in Korea. Like if you grew up in Korea and you're Korean, that's just you know like everyday life, you know, like that's where all the Buddhist temples are. And mountains are very holy in Korea. But when you're Korean American, there is a disconnect. There's a knowledge disconnect simply because you just don't know. So yeah. the fact that you are dreaming about mountains, and I'm sure people will be like, oh well it's nature. No, mountains have special significance in Korean culture. Like in a lot of cultures. Dreams are very significant. Like maybe like a white person will listen to this and be like, oh, but that was just a dream. Why would your mom care? <laughs> but it's like, no, like Korean Americans, no matter how Christian you are or how westernized you are, it's like ingrained in us culturally to take dreams very mm -hmm. seriously, I think. Yeah, it's definitely like that's how a lot of our spirits and gods will tend to communicate with us is through dreams. Like if you remember it, so vividly there's usually some kind of meeting and people can usually tell the difference between typical day fodder where your brain just goes through the day or whatever to process it when you sleep versus dreams that actually have some kind of significant meaning and it's everybody has that talent where they're able to pinpoint that um i think that the people that are just like oh you know it's just a dream whatever they don't really they're just kind of dismissive about their own experiences with that stuff why you? Like, why did your ancestors come to you versus my ancestors? My ancestors didn't come to me. Do you, do you know? Yeah. So basically, um, anybody who's I found that this is the typical pattern, right? For shamanic traditions all across the world, is that if you're chosen by gods and spirits, you're going to have a shit life, basically. Um, so you basically go through shinbyong, spirit spirit illness. And the causes and symptoms of that can differ depending on you, your ancestors, um, a lot of specific things for you. So like that's why that's another reason why it can take so much time and energy is that we have to specify that ceremony to, to you and to your own family. And each of those family members, ancestor-wise also, like they have their own like thoughts and how they want things to go. So we have to make sure that we're getting all the cracks filled properly. And sometimes those cracks take different kind of fillings. <laughs> um, 
And people have kind of have the wrong idea that it's just an overarching general thing that we can do for everything. And it's it's not really like that. Like, if you wanted a good luck quote, um, and your neighbor wanted one also, they could very well look different because your life is different. Your ancestors are different. Sorry, what was our original question? <laughs> the original question was, uh, basically, girl, why are you so special? You know, like, oh, why, yeah, are you, yeah. why are you, like, on the Budang path versus, let's say, somebody like me? Mm -hmm. um, so, basically, the ancestors will choose down a ladder. Um, so, let's say, let's say your mom was meant to be Mudang, but she just, I don't know, it just never happened. Like, a lot of Koreans, they'll, but we're still not calling, but fight it for all hell. Like, they're just like, I don't want to be a Mudang. I don't want to serve God and, like, take care of a temple for the rest of my life. Um, and I think a lot of Native Koreans know that that kind of life of servitude sucks. <laughs> You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for a purpose, and it's not for what you want. It's what they want. Um, and it's kind of like a, when nuns go into a convent, except we don't really have a choice and they do. Um, so. I would just like to interject here. In Korean society, maybe not so much now, but traditionally, uh, mudang, manchin, manchin by the way is like kind of like the politically correct term to call like mudang right now. Because um, it, it means like 10,000 spheres or something like that. Um, traditionally, mudang were seen as like low on the hierarchy. So it's not like you're a nun and people respect you like, oh, Sister Mary is teaching at the convent school. No, if you're a mudang, you're kind of like seen at the same level as like prostitutes and like peasants, right? Yeah, shuns. Like, and even if clients um, come to you, they will legit act like they don't know you. And they will keep that on the down low, like the dirtiest little secret that they have in their closet. Um, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's a little bit better out here just because, you know, Koreans are all spread out. It's not everybody will know if you go see a mudang here, but out in Korea, you know, their shops and temples are pretty obvious, um, to tell from other buildings. So, uh, it's not as easily kept secret there. But over here, um, it is. So, of course, they'll, they'd rather opt for that. Like, I had, um... My spirit sisters, one of my spirit sisters' clients, like they were Christian, but they still wanted her saju, right? So they went in, but then when they're when it was time to leave, they're just like, "Can I go out the back? I don't want anyone to see me." And my sister's like, "You came in from the front. <laughs> like, what is the difference now?" Wait, wait now. Yeah, like I, the thing is, is that. When it comes to these sort of mudang uh, and spirit workers, I mean, they were seen so, so, so low, and they were mainly women, right? It's mudangs are mainly women, and a lot of them maybe like uh, trans people or maybe LGBTQ, and it, like gender non-binary people as well, and so their life was hard. Like it's not like you could like get married and you know live a normal life. I mean, society basically spit on you when you walk by. Oh, definitely, yeah, and it's just like, I'm glad I don't have to deal with it as bad, like, we we do still experience some form of it here, um, 
And I put off, I didn't even really make an announcement on my personal Facebook or anything like that. I just casually posted a really brief video of a Mudong interview. And I was just like, yeah, so um, didn't really mention it, but I got initiated as one like last year or two years ago now. Um, and I was, you know, initially I was pretty afraid of it because I do have my dad's side of the family members on my Facebook and most of them are Christian. So they live in Florida, which is, yeah. But, um, so I was afraid of that, but a lot of them were pretty accepting, which I was very happy for. But if my dad's mom ever found out, she'd probably disown me because she's extremely Christian. This is what's so interesting about Korean society and especially Korean Americans because I feel like most Korean American immigrants, they came over like, you know, late 70s, early 80s, maybe around that time. And that's when Korea was very different. Like Korea had a military dictatorship and, you know, like the immigrants that are living in, you know, like abroad, they're a little bit more old school than Korean Koreans in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Korea, like modern Koreans, um, I find, especially in big cities, they think like mudans are kind of cool. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, ooh, yeah. your mom's a mudan? Awesome. Can you like read my fortune? But like yeah. Korean Americans who came over like back in the day, they still have those ideas where it's like, if your daughter becomes a mudan, it's like such a family shame. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, it's almost like she, she's dead to you at that point. Yeah, like uh, one of my other spirit sisters, she told her her, um, her Korean side of the family and they straight up ignored her. Like they're just like, I'm not going to acknowledge that. Like, I'm not. And um, it, was, it was really hard for her because she's very people-oriented. So she relies a lot on her family, on her friends. And um, the fact that they did that was obviously very upsetting for her. Um, I'm glad that I didn't have that kind of experience. Like maybe that has to do with being in a liberal area of the country. But um, yeah, I was, I was very happy about that. And um, going back to your original question, it's that gods and spirits will choose particular members of the family and just kind of go down the line. Like if the person they choose refuses, um, they'll just keep going. Like it kind of hops around the family until someone says, okay, fine. I guess I will be the one, you know, like, and it's, it's pretty difficult just because like, even though you might be destined to be a Mudong or Paksu, um, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful at it. It doesn't mean that you're going to do a good job. Like some people, some people's destinies legit are to be a shit mood on, <laughs> like to be one and fail, and that sucks. Let's talk about terminology a little bit. So we mentioned mudan, which is uh, what a traditional Korean shaman is usually called. There's also manshin, which is sort of like a more fancy way of saying mudan. And then you mentioned another one. Is it the the males who are doing the spirit work? Okay, so yeah, so um, females are obviously called mudang, um, and a lot of a lot of them won't go by monsoon because monsoon, even though it is more respectful and honorable to be called that, it it means ten thousand spirits. So if you haven't had um, your manchiku and you haven't had um, 
enough years of experience out of training and, you know, just actually been possessed and channeled that many spirits, you have no right to call yourself a monster. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I would never, like, I can't call myself a monster just because I only got initiated in 2017. Like, I wouldn't have the audacity to, you know, it's kind of like calling yourself the Pope or like something, or like a cardinal or whatever. Um, when you're just like a priest that just started his own little study group or something. Um, and Paksu is like the males who are, who are also Mudong, so male version of Mudong. Not all of them are LGBTQ or anything. Um, they seem they, very they, uh, gender fluid. Yeah, so they obviously do have to be, well, all of us really, all of us have to be comfortable with basically cross-dressing during Kruit and ceremony and stuff because the clothing, the Shinbok, which is God's clothing or spirit clothing, um, it needs to match the associated gender spectrum of the God that we're trying to have or that we're calling down and does. Um, and some, some gods really are kind of finicky about that stuff, like uh, Jonggun, like warrior general, war gods, like a lot of them will refuse to come down if they're, they view themselves as male, but you're not wearing a general shinbo. And a lot of general shinbo is male. It's one of the um, most interesting things that I've heard about um, the Buddha tradition. It's like, it's mainly women, and yet so many of uh, the spirits or the gods that are called down are war heroes, are generals. Why is mm -hmm. that? I honestly, I'm not too sure why that is, but I feel like it has a lot to do with kind of pent up um, Han. So I don't know if anybody else is really familiar with Han, but it's a very intrinsically Caribbean thing where any kind of sorrow, grief, anger, like it ties us all together. Um, every every Korean person, every spirit, ghost that's stuck on this plane has Han, um, unresolved Han. So it kind of just like tethers you and keeps you stuck here, and it doesn't allow you to move forward with a lot of stuff. Um, on the flip side, Han can also mean like hope <laughs> and getting past a lot of that stuff, like uh, like in the revenge movies that's so popular. Um, that's a that's an aspect of Han is where the uh, wronged person goes out of their way to right the situation and through that scenario they release themselves of their Han. Is it kind of like karma then? Kind of, yeah. It's not really um, it's not really a universe dealing things out according to how you live. Um, I'm trying to think of like how else to really explain it. Like it's a really difficult concept to verbalize properly. Um, I don't know if you might be able to do a better job than me. Well, you know what? Like I feel like there's a lot of Korean words that are so visceral, and there's just something about the Korean people, like culturally. Like uh, I know that oftentimes we're called the Italians or Irish of, of East Asia. There's mm -hmm. just something about. Just like, it's just inside our culture that we're like very much like about this like very intense, sorrowful, um, 
almost like multiple lifetimes of pain and agony and angst. Like it's almost Russian in a way. Like it's it's you know like a what the unofficial national anthem of Korea is a song called Arirang, and that song like if you listen to it, that song is fucking intense. It's basically saying. You abandoned me, dude. That like I've I've noticed like among the other East Asian people like ours definitely focuses a lot about having a lot of energy like whatever you're doing you have to be very passionate and outwardly expressive um, and if you don't have that kind of like yang energy right yeah yang yang whatever um, people think like you're sick or like there's something missing from you. Um, like a lot of aspects that native Koreans like that I've seen, um, they're just like, you need to, you know, attack it with like vigor. Um, even if it's something simple, like writing a, a math equation or whatever. Right. And I'm just like, I don't have the energy for this. I'm tired. <laughs> I mean, think about the words that Koreans use to encourage you. Fighting. Fighting. Mm -hmm. Fighting. Fighting. <gasps> um, there is something very martial about Korean culture, and sometimes I wonder if it's because the Korean Peninsula, because it was between China and Japan, there's just been a shit ton of fighting because you know these two big powers were constantly trying to you know like take over and. And as many people know, Korea was colonized by Japan in the early 20th century as well. So there's just constant war and fighting in Korea. And so there was this big thing where it's like, we got to defend the motherland. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if these war heroes, I mean, it's like there's so much blood on the Korean peninsula and still even now, though North Korea, South Korea, mm -hmm. that it kind of doesn't surprise me. But it's kind of interesting to me that you're saying, yeah, well, when these generals come, you gotta cross dress. You, you know, <laughs> you come and you gotta cross dress. Yeah, I mean, there's no way around that. Like, I'm, some some Ludon do have female warrior general gods, though. Like, which was really neat to see. Like, I kind of, I had wished before my ceremony. I was just like, wow, I really hope I get like uh, <laughs> a woman warrior general. That didn't happen. But um, but it's really cool to see that there are women versions of these typical male gods and other Mudan's uh, pantheons. So are there mainly um, more martial and war generals that come down, or are there also like very like you know Guanyin, like very love and light gods that also come down? 
It depends on each Wudang. So remember how I said each person, there's very specific details about them and their ancestors that make everything different, right? Um, so that comes to Wudang too. So depending on your ancestors and your own like key, your own energy can depend on, can differ what gods come down for you to serve in, in a temple. Um, so like as an example, my uh, my spirit mother Shinomi, like she has a lot of general gods. Like she's a very fierce lady. I would never screw with her ever, ever. <laughs> she is intimidating. Um, but you can tell, like in her in her personality and like how she takes control of her room. Like she's very like, don't mess with me. I know what I'm doing. And she does know what she's doing. Like, she she has finesse. She has um, accuracy, like, efficiency. She's all about that. Um, so, like, people with, or Mudangs with a lot of warrior generals, they're, warrior generals are, like, earth, earthly gods, right? Um, so, when a Mudang has a lot of earthly gods, they tend to cuss more. They tend to favor, like, liquor, uh, red meat, smoking, um, the typical stuff that's kind of looked at as, like, kind of, not really dirty, but maybe lower class. <laughs> um, and then some other people have more, like, heavenly gods, like Chilsung, um, the Seven Star God, um, Purusa, uh, she's like a, a kind of monk, Buddhist monk goddess, um, and, like, Yongwang. But it's definitely, it definitely differs. So like, uh, for my own, I had, I think I only had, like, three general gods come through. And then the rest of mine were very, um, like, heaven, heavenly oriented. Um, so that, that can come through, too, during ceremonies is the way you jump. So the sisters that have a lot more general war gods, the way they jump is very uh, stiff-legged. Like, and when they go up and down, like the room is just thunderous. Like it's just boom, boom, boom. But like for people, for mudangs like me, where we have more heavenly gods, the way we jump is very light. Um, we tend to focus more on our tippy toes, and um, we kind of just like float or dance around when we jump. Um, it's it's pretty interesting to see that how that kind of difference with our gods can come through. I mean, you're mentioning jumping. I think uh, a lot of people may be surprised that the the food or the rituals that Mudan do they're very active. Like they're very physically active. There's dancing. There's jumping. There's uh, balancing on knives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like. Um, during during my initiation ceremony, uh, usually during initiation ceremonies last three to several days. Um, obviously, the preparation leading up to that can last months, but the actual ceremony portion is about three to five days. Um, mine was three, um, and for the first two and the half of the third one, I was jumping from like 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., um, obviously there were a little breaks there, here and there, um, for like water, bathroom, meals, but it was a lot 
of jumping. Like after my ceremony, my legs were swollen. Um, they were bruised, and I it didn't go away for like three weeks after that. Oh my god, but I mean, it's like the spirit came in you. Yeah, I mean, like, it definitely depends. Um, I was aware of how bad my legs hurt, and I'm just like, oh god, I want to stop so bad. But, you know, when, when the drums are going, like, you, you can't really control your body like that. Like, the gods are just like, no, I want to jump, so let's go. And you're just like, fuck, okay, <laughs> you know? What's the point? Like, what's the point of, like these generals coming into your body, like, what are they there to do? So during crude, um, when we call them down, the whole reason we call them down is because they need to be there to uh, help our clients talk, to break through their own Han. Um, and when they're down here on the earthly plane, they hear everything. So usually when they're, you know, not down here, they're, you know, up in heaven or whatever, it's a lot harder for them to hear prayers. And that's why um, a lot of lay people will commission Mudong and have us do, like, keto prayer rituals in their place because due to our um, excessive ki, excessive energy, it enables our prayers to be heard a lot easier to the gods than the common person. Let's talk a little bit about the Korean cosmology. Because people who are doing more Western animus traditions, they're like, what do you mean the gods are up in heaven and they can't really hear? Um, but Korean cosmology is a little bit different, right? Like, what do you mean by heaven? Like, what happens to people, like, a war general when they die? Like, a war general, if they die, it definitely depends on how they died, too. So, if they have a natural death, like, you know, from old age or whatever, they, they pass on. No problem. But a lot of people generally tend to pass on um, through complications like, you know, medical illnesses, car crashes, suicides. Those are considered unnatural deaths, and a natural death is what gets your spirit stuck on this plane. Um, the unnatural deaths cause so much harm that the spirit can't pass through themselves, so they have to kind of just stick around and, like, do whatever until someone's able to um, do a ceremony to get them to pass through. There's heaven, which is like a, I don't even know how to describe it, it's like a land of gods, that's uh, just where gods live, right? Um, people don't really go up there unless they were deified. Um, and then there's like a kind of, it's not really purgatory, it doesn't feel so plain and neutral. Like purgatory is just kind of like a copy of our physical plane where you have to like continue working there until you work off enough karma to reincarnate. And then um, there's like hell, which isn't really hell, it's like a underworld. And you have to go through these trials or whatever to kind of prove your innocence and how you were in a ship person in life. And then um, you get judged by the Ten Kings. And then once you get judged by the Ten Kings, like they're the ones that dole out, like whether or not you're going to go to purgatory, work off some more of that karma before you're able to reincarnate, or you can just straight off and reincarnate right away or whatever. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with Buddhism, though. I think that's the, the afterworld stuff is 
what we adopted from Buddhism. Korean shamanism, from what I heard, it's derived from the shamanism or shamanism that came down from Siberia, from like northern China. Um, and I think they mainly worked with trees, but then they came down to Korea and then it was like, whoa, mountains. The sun sets early in Siberia. At dusk, Bayerin Chinov, one of the most celebrated and experienced shamans east of Lake Baikal, begins his shamanic rituals. Today's ritual is designed to invoke the spirit's healing abilities and thank them for their powers. At one point during the ritual, a spirit penetrating Bayer's body is expected to help the shaman deal with people's issues as well as heal them. When a shaman becomes aware of the onset of the state of trance, he puts on a cap that covers his eyes. The cap protects the shaman from evil spirits and safeguards the onlookers. According to popular belief, ordinary people are not supposed to see the shaman's eyes at such moments because this might cause them harm. Then the shaman's crown comes into play. This headgear is fashioned out of iron and has horns on top. Shamans say that as soon as the invoked spirit makes its appearance in the form of a cloud, the horns help guide the spirit into the shaman's body. As the drumbeat quickens, the nervous tension of the people gathered in the yurt quickly begins to peak. Then the drum abruptly falls silent. The shaman falls to the floor and begins spinning on it. This means that the spirit has entered his body. Video cameras are switched off. Filming a shaman in this state poses a threat to him and his audience. Yeah, I did see, like, theories focused around that, and I can... Um... I can definitely agree. Like, there's a lot of similarities. Like, if you look at Siberian shamanism, um, like how they, the colors they use and how they tie it around certain trees and areas, definitely see the similarities there. Like, we do a lot of the same stuff, and I'm just like, dang, that's so cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, obviously, throughout the ages and stuff, the way we do it, like, little intricacies of how we're doing it, um, obviously that's different and the wise is different and um, I think the Siberians focus a lot more on animals too than we do like we don't really focus on animals at all hey everyone thank you so much for listening to the witches and wine audio experience if you enjoyed this podcast please consider supporting me on patreon you can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>